BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prale, in for Michael Krasny. The hit Netflix series The Queen's Gambit is about a chess prodigy named Beth Harmon who takes on the male-dominated world of chess in the 1960s. It's sparking renewed interest in the game, to the point of making chess sets a hot-ticket item selling out in stores. It's also highlighting how the world of professional chess has historically excluded women and people of color. We'll talk with a panel of chess players about the show, the game, and efforts to make professional chess more inclusive. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prale, in for Michael Krasny. That's the theme song for The Queen's Gambit, a Netflix series about Beth Harmon, a young girl living in an orphanage who has a stunning talent for chess. She goes on to become a chess star while also struggling with addiction. It's now the streaming company's most watched limited series ever, 62 million accounts in the first 28 days of release. Sales of chess sets have increased by 125% since the show premiered, and women in chess are in the spotlight. According to the International Chess Federation, as of this year, women make up a little under 16% of active players. Could that become another number that also sees a jump in the coming years? Here with me to talk about the impact of the Queen's Gambit and diversity in the world of professional chess is Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion. She's also author of Play Like a Girl and the women's program director of the U.S. Chess Federation. Welcome to Forum, Jennifer Shahadi. Hello. So great to be here. Yes. So we got to have that lovely dramatic entrance as well with the music. (laughs) Uh, But before we jump into The Queen's Gambit, for those who maybe know what chess is but don't really get it, don't really kind of see the point or the thrill, how would you describe the game to a newcomer? Well, the game is like a time capsule because we've been playing the same game for 500 years. And it's a beautiful way to escape into your own head where you're just thinking about strategy and how you can move your pieces in a way to harmonize and outdo your opponent. I think it's it's just uh, very meditative and it's kind of like perfect for what we need right now, I think. And what makes someone a good chess player, would you say? Focus, the ability for deep focus. That's number one, I think. Gary Kasparov, who consulted on the Queen's Gambit, said that's number one in previous interviews. And I completely agree with that. And you see that in the Queen's Gambit, how the main character, Beth, is able to just like lose herself into her own mind. And right now, that's such an important skill because we're bombarded with distractions. And there's a really thriving online chess playing community. I mean, you've mentioned, especially at this time and thinking about the pandemic, and it seems like numbers have also gone up in terms of, well, one, because chess clubs have had to, you know, go to online communities. But what is that space like right now in terms of players and also viewership? It seems like it's drawn a lot of audiences as well. 
Yeah, viewership is skyrocketing for all of the major play sites and online YouTube, Twitch streams from the St. Louis Chess Club's events to um, Magnus Carlson's tour. He's the world champion to chess.com's numbers just, you know, going up by the millions. It's it's crazy. And it makes sense, though, because um, during this pandemic, a lot of people are looking for a new hobby. And although everybody in the chess world misses the majestic feel of a real wooden set and board, I, I also have to say that in chess, we're very lucky because we can do a lot online, um, a lot of training, a lot of networking with people all over the world. So it's just it's really perfect for a way to give people solace during these difficult times. And how did you first discover chess? Um, for my family, my my dad taught me when I was really young, probably five or six. Don't really remember exactly. Um, and then my brother's also a international chess master. Oh wow! And and what did it take for you to rise to the championship level? Can you kind of walk us through a little bit of your your evolution? Yeah, a lot of intense study, especially in my high school and college years. I would, I was always a pretty good student, um, but I would also, um, you know, treat my my chess work as my other homework. So I'd study my end games, and I think that nobody's born as a great chess player. So no matter who you are and what kind of you know blessings you bring to the game, you always have to work on yourself. And for me, a lot of that was working on my confidence levels because I was a little underconfident. I was a little slow sometimes and I was afraid that I wasn't making the right moves. So I had to be sure to like coach myself that I was I was good enough and that I could go with my instincts. Yeah, because chess is known for requiring that intellectual skill and maneuvering. And it can sometimes feel intimidating, right? And even we have this phrase, you know, they're playing chess, not checkers to indicate that someone's operating at this higher level. Kind of what is the feel, um, I guess, that you have? Um, is, is there that intimidation factor kind of every time you approach a board? Not really. No, I think at some point you, you stop getting intimidated because, you know, it's like your home. You've mm. been at the chessboard before. You set up the pieces. You know your openings. And sure, if you play like a Gary Kasparov or a Magnus Carlsen, you're, you're human. You're going to be a little intimidated if you play one of the best players in the world. But I think overall, you're trying to sink yourself into the position. We always say play the board, not the player mm. in chess, which is the opposite of poker, which is another game that I love. So that that is the goal because you never want to underestimate someone because you don't think they're as good as you. And you also don't want to overestimate someone and be intimidated. So it's, it's about finding that balance. And you mentioned, you know, you know your openings. And that's actually a great segue to the Queen's Gambit because the Queen's Gambit is the name of an opening. Can you just kind of break down um, what openings are and just some of that dynamic? Yeah, opening. So the, the start of the game, there's a lot of different good ways you can develop your pieces and try to start. The goal of chess is to checkmate your opponent. But on the way to checkmating, you have to develop your pieces, attack your opponent's king, get your own king into safety. So there are different strategies to go about that. And um, one of the best is the the Queen's Gambit. And even though that is actually the title of a novel from 1983 that was adapted for the hit Netflix series. It also is um, considered one of the best openings in history. And that reputation is only rising, actually. Um, computer, computer and artificial intelligence are saying that this idea of moving your pawns um, on the queen side to um, get some really nice space and development is um, perhaps the best opening of all. 
And so what did you think of the Queen's Gambit Netflix show, how it represented the game and also how it represented the experience of a young woman in chess? I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. All the all the stars. Um, I think that it showed the glamour side of chess which hadn't really been shown before, I think, in that same way. It showed the importance of a woman being, you know, known for her mind and what's inside, even though, of course, in the series, she happened to be stunningly beautiful. That wasn't what was important, right? Mm -hmm. And that's such a powerful message to girls. And it was just so well-crafted. I mean, it's the kind of thing that will pull people in and, and not let go. And that happened to apparently 60 million households and how many of those people are actually going to enjoy chess for the rest of their lives? I think a a, a large number. And did you have the opportunity to travel for chess with chess and kind of what were those experiences like? What's the international community like? I did. It is such an awesome community. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I also resonated with the show because Beth got to go all over the world and the country to play chess. And same with me. When I was um, 15 years old, I got invited to a chess tournament in Brazil and then another one in Iceland. And these were my first trips out of the country. And I only got to go because of chess. Um, You know, I was one of the highest ranked chess players in my age group. So um, the U.S. Chess Federation and the the International Chess Federation invited me and my family got to go and it it opened up this whole new world to me. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion. She's author of Play Like a Girl. She's also women's program director of the U.S. Chess Federation We're getting your take on the Queen's Gambit Netflix show and just the impact and ripple effect that it's having on chess. And if you're um, interested in joining the conversation, we'd like to hear from you. So do you play chess competitively or for fun? If so, what do you love about it? And especially if you're a woman or person of color who plays, what's been your experience? And have you seen the Queen's Gambit series? What did you think of it? And have you taken up chess since watching it? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Jennifer Shahadi, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do with the U.S. Chess Federation and what that kind of outreach looks like um, to women and girls and getting them into chess? Absolutely. Well, our goal at U.S. Chess and with our women's program is to get more women into the game and also with a focus on intersectionality. So we want all women to be able to play whatever age they are, wherever they come from. Um, And we want to help people who most need its benefits. So we do give out grants to smaller organizations um, to help promote their women's initiatives. We also have weekly classes for different age groups. So we have an adult class. We have um, a girls group where we um, bring in guest lecturers. Gary Kasparov was even nice enough to come. And they inspire the girls and teach them the chess strategy. But more than anything, these opportunities are to create community. Because a lot of times a girl, especially now during the pandemic, doesn't have friends that she can hang out with and play chess with. But now we're in a Zoom call and there's a hundred of us and they start chatting and making friends on chess.com and challenging each other. We also even have a program where um, some of our top U.S. girls uh, meet with uh, top Kenya chess girls 
and they like learn from each other's cultures and they also have chess tournaments and um, training sessions together. And all of this started to flourish during the pandemic. So, you know, again, a, a way of solace for a really difficult time for kids and teens. And that's that is heartening to hear, knowing also because, you know, the online I just heard, you know, there's can sometimes be a lot of bullying or just kind of a toxic environment sometimes in the gaming um, world online, especially when it comes to, you know, women and girls participating. So it sounds like working to to build a community there can maybe offset some of those factors, especially in a, in a male-dominated game like chess, right? Exactly, because every woman and girl is going to have some negative experiences. And it's all about the inner strength, but it's also about the network that she has, the community she has to, right. to follow up back on and get that support. And sometimes that comes from the family. Sometimes it comes from the school. But if we can create stronger networks so that a woman never feels alone, never feels like there's nobody to talk to, if something inappropriate happens, um, I think that's like the biggest goal of all. Well, we'll talk more with Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion, author of Play Like a Girl, and the women's program director for the U.S. Chess Federation, and some more chess players after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail, and for Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in for Michael Krasny. We're talking about the renewed interest in chess thanks to the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit. I'm joined by Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion, author of Play Like a Girl and program, women's program director at the U.S. Chess Federation. And I'm now I'm also joined by Adisa Benjoko, founder of the Hip Hop Chess Federation and host of the Bishop Chronicles podcast. He also wrote a story on the RZA of Wu-Tang Clan fame for the January 2021 cover of Chess Life magazine. Welcome, Adisa Benjoko. Thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor to be on. Yes. And we also have Elizabeth Shaughnessy, founder of the Berkeley Chess School, organized, and she organized the first regional and California state tournament for women. Welcome, Elizabeth Shaughnessy. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thank you all for being here. Um, so, Elizabeth, I'll start with you. You've competed internationally. How, do you, how did you start playing chess, and what was your early experience as a woman chess player? Oh, I, I started playing chess as, as a very small child. I mean, my brother, uh, we uh, um, I, 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 we go back a long time. Uh, we, my family um, uh, housed a Lithuanian family during World War II who had escaped from from uh, Germany, and um, 
he played, that man played chess with my father. And so I was age, very young, age three maybe or something. So I've seen it in my home from from birth. Uh, and uh, my brother played and I played. And um, so, you know, I've been playing chess all my life, but I never really played it uh, competitively or seriously until I went to college. And uh, then I got on the college chess team and it went from there. And there were no girls when I joined the chess team, but I got a lot of my friends to come along and and learn how to play. And uh, they did. And I formed a I, I started doing there was a group, as, as Jennifer has just said, you know, it it, uh, it it helps. And it's it's part of being female, I suppose, to be also sociable and have other girls and other women uh, around you to whom, with whom you can relate. And what was your reaction to the Queen's Gambit? Did it resonate with with some of the experiences you may have had? Oh, absolutely, yes. Especially the very first time she went to play in a tournament and uh, they didn't want to put her in a high section and they were really mm. talking down to her. Yeah, yeah, it resonated. Yes, it certainly did. And the effort that goes into it and the amount of um, uh, dedication there is, you have to have to it, I suppose, of anything that you become good at or excellent at it, as in the case of the Queen's Gambit. And Adisa uh, Benjoko, what was your reaction to the show? What do you think it did well? Oh, I mean, it did a lot well. But first, I just want to say that Jennifer Shahadi is like the Mother Teresa of chess, and we need to salute her. She's just dressed awesome, and she's always brilliant, and she's done so much for uh, women, girls, and minorities around the world. But the the film, the, the show did amazing things. It was very beautiful, right? Chess is a beautiful game, but it's not always shot in beautiful ways. Um, it 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 showcased chess, but it actually showed how multi-layered her actual life was beyond chess. And I think that's one of the things that we forget is like chess is amazing. It is awesome. It is enriching. It is, it is um, a fantastic intellectual and, and journey into the self. Right. And I think that's why it's, it's lasted so as long as it has. And I think the show really highlighted that value and um, made made the life of a chess player complex, looking at their life beyond the game, uh, but through the lens of the game. Well, we have a cut from The Queen's Gambit that I'd love to get um, the panel's reaction to, where Beth is playing mental chess with Benny. Let's listen. Pawn to king four. Pawn to queen bishop four. Hand to kb three. Pawn to queen three. P to q four. Pawn takes pawn. Knight takes. Knight. King bishop three. Hand to qb three. Pawn to king's knight three. P to b four. P to b four. 11 fish. I never liked it. King to b3. I'll take the knight. Pawn takes. Pawn to king five. Pawn takes again. And you know what Char says about that in the footnote? I don't read the footnotes. Okay, well, it's time you started. I don't like shards. No, I don't like shards either, but I read him. What's your move? Queen takes queen. Check. Again, that was Beth and Benny playing mental chess. And I'm curious, Jennifer, how popular is the mental chess exercise and playing in that way? It's We call it blindfold chess for the most oh, part. Okay. Even if you're not wearing a blindfold, we call it that. And it's popular. It, it, in that rendering, it's very um, accurate. Like people will play blindfold chess in situations where they don't have access to a board. So like driving or waiting for a train or something like that. Um, yeah, it, and I was trying to follow the moves there, and uh, yeah, it, it's funny because in the in the uh, Queen's Gambit they use a different notation system that we use now. The P, so. the P. 
But it's a good opening, man. They're, they they love The Sicilian. That's one of our favorite openings. Um, and I I kind of like was playing through the moves in my head while the clip replayed. That's interesting. Yeah, and that's one of the big characteristics of Beth, right, is that she maps out full games on the ceiling and, and you just kind of see her making all those moves and, and working out the potential um, plays. So how much of the game is that visualization and mapping out mentally how the game will play out? Um, Jennifer, what are your thoughts? Huge part of it. And that's why chess has so much overlap with art and creativity, because it's actually really visual. People think of it as math. And, and obviously, there are some elements that make ma- mathematical um, geniuses really good at chess as well. But I think it's more artistic. Marcel Duchamp was a chess master. And you see these visions of chess pieces moving. And the clearer your vision is, the more likely you are to win. Now, the one thing that was quite unrealistic, especially for the kids who might be listening to this, was the idea that, um, you know, uh, tranquilizers or drugs would help with that vision. Actually, the clearer your mind is, um, the better more likely you will be to be able to get to that end of the variation and to where you want to go. Adisa, do you have thoughts on the mental chess exercise or blindfold chess? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, the first time, first of all, uh, yeah, uh, Timur Gareev, who was known as the blindfold king of chess, uh, came to the Hip Hop Chess Federation spot one day and he played me and crushed me in about three minutes uh, blindfolded. Um, he also uh, knew judo and slammed one of my students super hard. It was hilarious. But oh, wow. um, what, what I wanted to note was that um, the first time I knew that this could be played was speaking with a friend of mine named Quincy. Shout out to Quincy, who uh, did a lot of time in jail. And he said when they would throw him in the hole, he would talk through chess games with another inmate on the other side of the wall. And I didn't even know that was possible. Like I didn't know that it was possible. And so he was like, yeah, you know, we just talk in algebraic notation and run the whole game with no pieces because in a lot of times they do have like I think uh one time Princeton's chess club came to one of these uh jails and uh they got smoked by uh all all the all the inmates and so um you know this this skill is high and a lot of people have it we just need to cultivate it mm. and ideally we what would be good in a, in a better America is if we were able to take the young minds that have that capacity and cultivate them before they get to prison Right. Because that's a high level of cognitive function. And if you could take a young man like that uh, and teach him coding. Right. If you could take someone like that and get them into calculus and show them how they could make money doing that instead of changing, you know, pounds and kilos like America would be much, much more powerful. Let's go to caller Sam in Moraga. Sam, you're on. Hi. um, Just a quick comment. That woman you have there, Elizabeth Shaughnessy, is a queen. Um, about 20 years ago, um, she came to Moraga to open chess for one of the elementary schools. My wife invited her. Um, my son was incredibly shy, only in second grade. And he basically was part of the uh, school chess team. And they went out and they did very well in one. And I remember distinctly the first day I dropped him off and he didn't want to say anything. He came back in the car. I thought he had lost and he said he won all the games and continued to do so. And she changed his life. He's now a double uh, engineer. Uh, doing very well, became co- captain of the soccer team, and um, just created incredible confidence for for a second grade kid, and basically it changed his uh, uh, um, trajectory in that school. 
Oh, thanks so much for sharing that, Elizabeth Shaughnessy. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I'd like to say about blindfold chess. Um, I started to work at chess school 40 years ago, so we've got a lot of experience here with kids. And I remember going in to observe a teacher uh, teaching, and there was a little boy, and he was sitting with his back to the demonstration board we used in those days, we still do. Um, and that little boy, I wondered, that's a strange way to discipline a child, to have him facing the class instead of, you know, usually you discipline them facing them away from the class. Uh, but I found that, in fact, what was going on was this was a kindergarten class. I want to emphasize, uh, and he um, he was he was going he was playing blindfold chess essentially. The child, my my, the teacher had taught him. Uh, had showed all the class the short, a short game and then asked them to turn their back and, and each child and, and play it. And this child was doing it perfectly. And when he was finished doing it, uh, all the other little children were hands up, my turn, my turn. And what I take away from that is that it's the, the human mind is so capable of doing that, but we haven't got high enough expectations of children often. Mm-hmm. And you, we've got to have, they can do more, they can do amazing things. And uh, so I wanted to share that because that's blindfold chess, kindergarten, blindfold chess, children holding their hands up saying it's my turn to do it. No problem because it was expected. They weren't told it was a hard thing to do uh, and they had fun doing it. So I wanted to share that, uh, the blindfold chess part of that. Also, I'd like to remember George Kotonowski, who uh, helped me found the Berkeley Chess School 40 years ago and who was, of course, the Dean of American Chess and uh, the Guinness Book of Records blindfold player in the world so well we have some more thanks for you Elizabeth Wendy writes my dad taught me chess when I was young but quit playing with me as I got older because quote girls shouldn't play. When my son started playing chess, we found the Berkeley Chess School, and I'm so thankful we did. Not only is it a fun and friendly space for kids of all genders, they have an amazing adult program, too. I'm so grateful to Elizabeth and everyone at Berkeley Chess School for creating such a welcoming group that has helped me get back into a game I love. And this listener writes, I loved watching The Queen's Gambit. I played chess with my grandpa as a child, and in talking about the show with my friends, I took a couple casual challenges from my buddies and was thoroughly dismantled each time. It is demoralized to feel how Beth, Har- uh, Beth Harmon's opponent- opponents felt. Does Ms. Shahadi have any tips for a casual player who is looking to improve? Oh, yes, I do. I'd say compete against yourself as well as against other people. And wh- how you do that is you solve chess puzzles. And your goal is to solve more in a shorter time. And, you know, you'll start testing yourself and you'll get faster and faster. And then when you start playing against your friend who beat you three times in a row, suddenly you're going to start getting better games and you're going to win some. Don't forget that in chess, there's always somebody better than you and there's always somebody worse than you. And we we learn from both experiences, which I think is a really important life lesson. And I, I guess, you know, Bay Area is very, very lucky to have people like Adisa and Elizabeth um, in your corner because the development of chess in the Bay Area is just so awesome. And it's beautiful to see such a focus on making it accessible. Let's go to caller Noel in Cupertino. Noel, you're on. Hi, good morning. Um, I absolutely love the show. And my mom actually taught me how to play chess growing up, and she would never let me win. I was probably eight or nine when we started playing, and I would try so hard to beat her. And the moment I did was really special for me. So I just wanted to throw that out there. 
Well, thanks for sharing that anecdote, Noelle. And Rich asks, can your guests tell us about any real-world situations where knowing chess gives one an advantage? Adisa, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the things, and I, and I, and I need to say that, like, uh, you know, everybody on this show is better than me in chess. That's important to note. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's important to note that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we specialize, that I specialize in as a teacher is teaching chess and life strategies. And so um, there is a there is a life lesson that I teach called the poison pawn. Now, the poison pawn is a, you know, um, a, a tactic where you basically lure someone to take your pawn so you can get their queen and you can you can you can get a high advantage. What that's what is that about? That's about giving something cheap to someone that doesn't really cost much that they pay for a lot later. And so um, I explained to my young teenage kids, like a lot of times people will be like, hey, let's go steal this phone. Let's go. You know what I mean? Let's go smoke dope. Let's go do this. And like, it seems like a good thing at the time, like just snatching a quick pawn. But in the long run, you know, you get snatched up. Now you're in juvie. Now you got big problems. Now you got to get a lawyer. Now your mom is crying. And so you have to think about, you know, how that works. Now, I taught that to a group of young kids in San Jose when I first created my curriculum. And um, it was like several months later, a teacher said, I know that you're having impact because the kids were talking about doing something and one of them looked at the other and said nope mr bishop said that's taking the poison pawn we shouldn't do that right and so that feels good and that's it's an important thing i think that a lot of the things that connect chess and life um are both uh esoteric slightly unscientific but yet authentic and and these are things that you have to find in the patterns of the way that you act the way that you live and the way that you see things moving winning and losing in society and Adisa, you've also you've critiqued sometimes the mainstream chess community for reducing players to their ratings sometimes and sacrificing the wholeness of the player. Can you speak a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, yeah, what I, what I really mean is like I've noticed in my personal experience, right, you know, first of all, it's beautiful that, you know, uh, the Queen's Gambit has 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 triggered so many people to think about chess, play chess, and and the you know and the and the the positive aspect of the pandemic in terms of people wanting to play the game online, right? But there's this other aspect of of chess where I feel like um you know the bulk of chess playing culture isn't isn't done by grandmasters and all that. It's done by regular people. It's this girl who loves playing with her grandfather. It's you know the mom who teaches her son how to play, and that is the culture of chess that makes the whole thing move forward. Right. Unfortunately, sometimes kids who are inspired to play chess, maybe they will compete, maybe they won't. But once they don't compete, sometimes the clubs aren't as excited about having them. And so we need to kind of change that because, um, you know, uh, I've seen parents sometimes be too hard on their kids when they lose a chess tournament. Right. And, and the first thing I told my son when he was competing, when he was young, is like, you will never be defined by your rating. Right. And so, like, if you make your rating your identity, it can it can crush your self-esteem when you come out of a out of a tough game or whatever. And so we need to um, keep more of a of a of a social and a philosophical balance that, you know, it's OK to lose as long as you learn, like like Jennifer was just saying. And we need to make sure that, you know, um, that we inspire kids to love the game and keep it fun so that if they think that all they are is their rating, they may not be that excited. When someone, well, what are you? I'm 1600. Well, I'm 2000. OK, we'll forget it. Like. We don't want to create that. That's not what's going to keep the culture uh, intact and, 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 and inclusive. Well, Aaron tweets, I'm glad to hear the discussion of how the chess world can be difficult for women. In high school, I was harassed out of the chess club by my male schoolmates who didn't think girls belong there. The male teacher running the club did not stop them even when I asked. Elizabeth, what's your reaction to hearing to Aaron's experience? 
Well, I'd like to comment a few things. Actually, it's pretty exciting to talk with other chess players who are and chess organisers who are as excited as I have been over what chess can do for kids. And I'd just like to go back and say one of the things it does is it makes you, it's a game of consequences. You're just you. It isn't a team. If you lose, if nobody to blame except yourself. If you make a mistake, if nobody to blame except yourself. There's consequences to chess. But if we, but chess teaches, if you think two steps ahead, uh, think of that in life. You have to think two steps ahead, at least in chess. If you think of that in life, two steps ahead, think two steps ahead. When somebody comes up and says, hey, would you like to sell some drugs and there's lots of money in it for you, uh, you stop and you say, well, okay, so I do that and then what happens and then what happens. I, I think it's enormously important uh, thing for, for, for life training. Um, we go into Title I schools and uh, it's, it's um, and, and we've done um, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, a test so uh, they'll have them done by outside things and it, it, uh, the, the children's um, um, well, scores just go way up well Great. That's um, So we're talking about the renewed interest in chess thanks to the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit. I'm joined by Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion, Adisa Benjoko, founder of Hip Hop Chess Federation and host of the Bishop Chronicles podcast, and Elizabeth Shaughnessy, founder of the Berkeley Chess School, organized the first regional and California state tournament for women. And you, our listeners, do you play chess competitively or for fun? If so, what do you love about it? Have you seen the Queen's Gambit series? What did you think about it? Have you taken up chess since watching it? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. Talking about chess, I'm Ariana Prail. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in for Michael Krasny. We're talking all things chess and the Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit. I'm joined by Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion. She's author of Play Like a Girl. She's also women's program director of the U.S. Chess Federation. Also with me, Adisa Banjoko, founder of Hip Hop Chess Federation and host of the Bishop Chronicles podcast. And Elizabeth Shaughnessy, founder of the Berkeley Chess School and who organized the first regional and California state tournaments for women. Uh, so we also have a comment from El- El- Emelina writes, I loved The Queen's Gambit. It's 100 percent one of the best Netflix shows ever. I would say, yes, it intrigued me to learn more about chess. And next, let's go to caller Peter in Santa Rosa, uh, who also happens to be my dad. Hi, dad. <laughs> Hi. Hi, great. <laughs> Um, I know you. Yes, you've played mm-hmm. chess for many, many years. Mm-hmm. You taught me, well, and I know that you yeah. had some particular opinions and thoughts on the Queen's Gambit. What did you think of the show? Just, just for the chess, we I started because of the Bobby Fischer phenomenon of 1972, which is our great hero, and uh, you know, part of part of what made the show great is that it, it, it dipped into various legends and narratives of great chess players but all i wanted to say was point 
point out how, how distinctive the game itself is. It, it teaches responsibility because you're, you're literally on a high wire, and if you make a mistake, you, you've lost hours of work, and um, it's tragic. Uh, <laughs> you work hard, but the main thing for kids is that it, it avoids video games. It's based on a single decisive series of moves, and it's not you don't accum- you don't beat your opponent eight thousand to you know seven hundred or something. It's 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 very careful work. And the only thing I can compare it to is say doing the New York Times crossword in ink. There's no going back. It has to be a coherent plan. Yeah. Anyway, well, thanks for sharing your thoughts, and thanks for teaching me how to play chess. Well, you're very welcome, and I'll be available for more lessons. Just one other thing. I like the way the show brought out the the role of intuition. Obviously, there's analysis and preparation, but and in my case, well, of course, intuition is built up through experience. In my case, my intuition often tells me, make a defensive move and don't be a fool. <laughs> well, thanks for that tip, Dad. And uh, Jennifer Shahadi, do you have any uh, thoughts that you wanted to add on top of that uh, that commentary? Oh, yeah. Well, I I think it, it really resonated with me with a lot of the things that Adisa was saying earlier, that in the real world, when you make a mistake, it could have some real consequences that you can never take back. But if you teach children in chess, they can like understand that lesson in a much lower stakes environment, right? Well, okay, you lose your rook, and you're never going to get it back this game. And it feels horrible. It feels like just as bad as having a major life disappointment. But you know what? It's transient. The next day you realize, okay, I'm still a good person. I can still work at this game. And I think that that is so powerful to teach people that lesson in a low stakes environment that their actions have consequences. Well, next, let's go to caller Yvonne in Belmont. Yvonne, you're on. Hi, I just wanted to speak to how I learned chess as an African-American woman. My brother was in prison and he taught me how to play chess when he came out. And that was the most, he never taught me about ginger. He just played with me. And then I joined the chess club in high school. And the one thing that I just want to say is that there's a lot of kids out there, but families that are in prison where they learn and they bring home and they teach the kids chess. What is important is is that I never knew the game of reading the book and knowing the positions and calling P to P, right? It, It wasn't there. And I just wanted to speak to the um the the gentleman from the hip-hop piece where um how do you disseminate or how do you get the information out there to the kids because i only learned because i was exposed to it by my brothers and it just i watched the queen gambit and it it, um it was so exciting because it just resonated i started when i was six and um i just wanted to speak to that and share it with you Thank you so much for sharing your experience, Yvonne. And Adisa, yeah, you did allude to the work that you've done um, with incarcerated populations when it comes to chess. Can you speak more to that and and to some of what Yvonne shared? Adisa, are you there? Um, I think he's... Sorry, I was was muted. I was muted trying to listen. Oh, okay, there you are. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I want to thank her for that story because it's really important. And, you know, from the beginning, I created the Hip Hop Chess Federation with the... um, 
goal of taking chess into specifically black and Latino communities and teaching as many at-risk youth as possible. And so what that led me to was teaching at uh, John O'Connell High School in San Francisco and the mission uh, 19th and Folsom shout out to everybody there especially G um, and um, you know uh, I, 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 I chose to go into juvenile halls um, here and in St. Louis as well um, and so you know Teaching in juvenile hall was really important to me. I, I taught a lot of, normally during the holidays until COVID, I would be at the juvenile hall in Oakland. And I always asked for the kids who were the most at risk, who were the most dangerous. And I always demanded that I made sure that I went into the girls unit. And you would be blown away at the massive amount of intelligent girls um, and young boys across this nation who are locked up that are, I mean, they are just intelligent beyond measure. And, um, you know, I remember one girl in particular, um, she was the toughest girl in, in the hall and she was very tall. She was very tall. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, and she was very, very, um, very dismissive, very kind of like cold. And so I came in, I taught and, um, you know, the other girls were kind of playing and we sat down and she ended up being the best girl in the hall during that time that I was there. Um, and, uh, it's, 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 it's always exciting to see this and to experience this and to see a young woman discover her own intelligence, to see a young child of any background find out that they are important, find out that they can see what's possible on this board and possibly in their life if they stay with it. And, um, you know, one of the best girls I ever taught was actually at John O'Connell. She was a Latina girl and she was really good, but she was dating a guy who was a gangster. And I remember watching her beat him several times in one week and he stopped coming to the library. And then uh, she would come, she would play. And after a while she stopped coming to the library. And I remember going to her and I was like, Hey, look, uh, lose the guy, keep the game. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And, 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 you know, this is, this is one thing that girls really struggle with as they starting to evolve in their teen years. Right. Um, and in time, to be honest, like she didn't stick with chess as a competitive thing, but she went on to become a very decent businesswoman and live her life when she's not with that dude and you know, whatever, but, and that's a beautiful ending, but there are too many young women who come into chess, um, with gifts that they push aside for an illusion, an illusion of romance that that never quite that never quite lands as well as they hoped it might. But but chess never betrays you. That's one of the things that I love about the game. The game never betrays you. And so um, it's it's always my goal to go out into at risk communities. I still um, work with a guy named uh, Mike Wassum uh, at the juvenile hall in uh, in 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 St. Louis, and uh, through a, through a donation that RZA gave back in. In, in, in 2014, uh, he and I still are able to keep the program together. And I want to give him a shout out and, and the kids that he works with, because it's an important thing. And Tina writes, we introduced chess to our son when he was four years old after purchasing Storytime Chess, a board game that teaches chess to young children. He loves it and now knows how each of the pieces move. My two-year-old is now interested after watching his brother play. I highly recommend introducing chess to your kids. So that's a good resource to flag. And let's go next to caller Louise in Oakland. Louise, you're on. Hi. I was calling. Um, I haven't heard the Netflix movie Queen of Cotway mentioned, and it fits right in with everything you're talking about. It's exceptional. I've recommended it to a whole lot of people. 
It's about a Ugandan girl who lived on the streets, didn't have an education, got involved in the chess club, and became an international um, chess winner. It's just an amazing story, and I don't know if any of your panel have heard it, but they should be promoting it with all of the people that they talk to chess about. Thanks for Thank flag- yes and and yes the Queen of Cotway which um, chronicles the story of Fiona Mutesi um, Elizabeth or Jennifer did you have any thoughts that you wanted to share when the Queen of Cotway came out and what that represented too I thought it was uh, a wonderful movie oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah oh yeah sorry go ahead Jennifer um, I thought it was a wonderful movie and it it was also adapted from a book um, Fiona is incredible she actually ended up. Um, getting a scholarship to Northwest University after the um, movie came out. So she is doing really fantastically. And I totally agree. Um, People who enjoyed The Queen's Gambit should definitely check out The Queen of Catway. And Elizabeth, you had some thoughts you wanted to share, too. Well, yes, I thought it was a wonderful, absolutely wonderful movie. And we've had Fiona down to uh, teach our girls. And and we uh, she she was going to school in uh, Washington State, and uh, she she came down uh, at one point, and we uh, invited her to come and and inspire our girls, essentially, especially our girls in our in our Title One schools. So uh, yeah, I think that is uh, that was an excellent movie. Also, it uh, it didn't it hasn't hit the same same popularity as the Queen Queen's Gambit has, but it, it was it was excellent as far as uh, chess is concerned and women in chess. Um, Yeah, I'd like to say, if I may, that um, I don't think, uh, I think people think like it's just going to happen. It's not going to happen. I think people like Jennifer, especially Jennifer, and people like myself and others, everybody here on the panel, you have to work at getting girls into chess. They don't, um, when when I got, I get funding to go into Title One schools. I go in during the school day. And the reason I do that is I get the girls. So I'm in their classroom and they have to learn whether they like it or not. Because if it's just after school, the girls won't sign up. So I just want to say it's, it's, it takes work on our part to get girls involved in chess. Right. And it's, it's not, yeah. And that okay. kind of, yeah. And that leads into a question that I had um, just a curiosity, like, is chess fun if you're not a prodigy? Kind of what, you know, I feel like maybe an unintended consequence of the Queen's Gambit will be the expectation of these, like, intense, high stakes, even glamorous matches. And on social pe- social media, people have been, you know, nicknaming it sexy chess. And um, if you're not brilliant like Bobby Fischer or Fiona Mutesi, who um, from Queen of Potway, that it won't be fun, you know, for the people who maybe aren't already interested in it. Um, but you know, so how how do you maybe capture that interest or spark that curiosity um, and keep it keep it alive beyond maybe a first first few games? So for me, what I did, um, I experimented with, experimented with this for many years. And what I did at the schools was um, I would have uh, lunchtime chess in my in my classroom. Right. So you could come and you could either do homework or you could play chess. And I played music. Right. You know, responsible music, not insane music. But the thing was, is that more and more kids came out and they would start playing. Maybe some kids would come to just watch. They wouldn't want to play initially. They just wanted to watch and see if it was cool. And after a while, uh, at one, the one school that I was at in, in San Jose, I think half the kids were in my room every lunch. It was known what it was. And it was amazing, you know, and so many of the girls who probably wouldn't have played initially 
became like beasts in the school and like had reputations. And it was really fantastic. I think that, you know, chess has to stay fun. Parents ask me, well, how do I get my kids into chess? I say, play with them and keep it fun. You're not trying to make them compete. You're not trying to turn them into the next Bobby Fisher. You want to have a fun game with them and learn. Once they do that, everything else is possible. But if you can't make the game fun initially, uh, it's gonna it's it's gonna end bad, you know. So I think that keeping the game fun is the point. Play music, have fun, drink tea. You know what I'm saying? Like add all these different elements, um, and it will it will help keep the kids engaged. Um, and it doesn't have to be life or death every game. It just has to be what it is, what it is, which is fun. Let's go to caller Krista in San Francisco. Krista, you're on. Hey, um, so I was super excited to watch this film. I was recommended to it by a bunch of really smart women. Everyone was raving about it. Um, just about me. I'm a ba- I have a background in teaching, and I'm also a documentary filmmaker. So I was, and my dad taught me how to play chess when I was a little kid. So all of the things, you know. I started watching the first episode, and the thing that struck me was the drug element. I understand that she was institutionalized, and they were using, like, these tranquilizers, but I worry that the message that was sent through that usage in the show is giving the message to children that, you know, geniuses achieve their genius through the use of drugs. It's the same trope that, you know, like, you know, Jimi Hendrix or a lot of our our favorite artists or talented people in the world who, you know, we, when we look up to them, oh, they did drugs and they, that's how they got their talent. And I don't think that that's the case. It's, it's kind of misleading. And I, I hope that parents or people who watch this show can have those conversations with their kids about how maybe this is just a little bit of Hollywood. And also drugs are, you know, can be really useful if you do have anxiety or depression or other mental illness. But it seemed like they were pressed on this girl in the show, and then they became a crutch. I didn't actually end up watching the whole thing because I, I found that that part too troublesome for me. Um, um, well, I I'll just that. say as someone who's seen the full series that I would encourage you to kind of see maybe how her, her story unfolds. But thank you for, for adding those, those notes, Krista. And yeah, I totally agree with Krista's criticism there. And I will say that a lot of kids, I work with so many girls, and I'd say the majority of them aren't allowed to watch the series. We had one uh, 10-year-old girl in my class say that um, her parents watched it, and then they were like, come in, come in, when there was a chess part. So she wasn't allowed, she was only allowed to watch the chess parts, which is hilarious because it's like the inverse of uh, some viewing experiences. Um, but yeah, the, the chess, the, the drugs came up in the Walter Tevis novel that the show was adapted from. And I couldn't agree more that that's unrealistic. You need a clear mind to play chess as well as possible. And something that's going to um, slow down your mind is very unlikely to help you. And I think we have time for just one more caller. Michael in San Francisco, you're on. Hi, Ariana. It's Michael. Oh. <laughs> I'm off the Thanksgiving week, but I couldn't help but call in because Walter Tevis was a very important figure in my life. He was a mentor and an inspiration and a teacher oh, wow. of mine. And this novel has special resonance uh, in terms of the way it was portrayed by the series, um, the Netflix series. Because I thought they did a wonderful job in terms of the period piece and showing friendships uh, between women and friendships across color lines and certainly things way ahead of the time in terms of uh, women's issues. But it was also uh, something that had a lot of Walter Tevis in it. Uh, I mean, he was in a kind of orphanage situation as a young man in Kentucky. 
And he was also the author, as many know, The Hustler and The Color of Money, which were both major motion pictures. Uh, and this was uh, a later work of his, and it was a work that uh, uh, really went unrecognized for quite some time. Uh, but mm-hmm. he was a chess player, and he was also a pool hustler. That's why he wrote The Hustler. Yeah. Um, and someone who got addicted to uh, not only phenobarbital, but had problems, uh, other kinds of addictions uh, during his life, alcohol particularly. So I wanted to just say that there's a lot of that human being in this story, and that's yeah. what made it particularly touching to me. Oh, well, thanks so much for calling in while well, on vacation, and we'll have you back next week. Um, but enjoy the rest of your, your time off and your holiday. Thank you. And you, too. I was going to say first-time caller, because that's true. I've never <laughs> called in before. But Oh, well, I'm honored. And <laughs> thank you to all our guests who have joined us to talk about the Queen's Gambit and and getting excited about chess again. Jennifer Shahadi, two-time U.S. women's champion, author of Play Like a Girl, and also women's program director of the U.S. Chess Federation. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer Shahadi. Thank you so much. And Adisa Benjoko, founder of Hip Hop Chess Federation and host of the Bishop Chronicles podcast. Thanks for joining us, Adisa. Thank you so much. To those listeners listening, please invest in girls and and young people in at-risk communities. If you love this show, please figure out how you can invest. I appreciate you. And thanks to Elizabeth Shaughnessy, founder of the Berkeley Chess School. Thanks, Elizabeth. Uh, thank, Thank you for having me on. It was wonderful. I'm Ariana Prail. You've been listening to Forum. More up next with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.